Welcome to the PopGo Project Podcast, a platform for the discussion and discovery of arts and entertainment. We focus on highlighting people and events that add value to the world around us. Visit us on all social media platforms by searching The PopGo Project or visit our website at thepopgoproject.com. Welcome to the show and thank you so much for listening. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Keller's Garden Center and Landscaping Services. Are you still cutting your own grass? Are you still trying to get your landscaping to look perfect on your own? That sounds sweaty. That sounds like a lot of work. That sounds like a job for Keller's Garden Center and Landscaping Services. Family-owned and operated Keller's Garden Center and Landscaping Services, located on Kern Street in Exeter near Blue Ribbon Dairy, has the quality and experience to get your yard looking its best. The Garden Center offers plants, trees, sod, mulch, rocks, flowers, topsoil, grass seed, straw bales, and much more while the Lawn and Landscaping Services offers mowing, trimming, planting, and full landscaping. And also new at Keller's Garden Center is the Zen Chaser Bonsai Studio, offering bonsai trees, supplies, and classes. Visit them on their social media page for more info. Keller's Garden Center and Landscaping Services. Get your free estimate today. This episode is also brought to you by Paulson Tours. For almost 30 years, this family-owned and operated business has been sending people to sports games, racing events, concerts, vacations, and more. I myself have been using Paulson Tours for trips to Red Sox games, wine festivals, and an annual guy's trip to Boston for St. Patty's Day for almost 15 years. Check out the current trips being offered over at paulsontours.com. Life's a trip. Go with Paulson Tours. Dan, how you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you. No, thank you, man. I really appreciate the time. Um, I said earlier that uh, this platform is, you know, I I started it to uh, talk to entertainers and artists and things like that. And uh, I think 90% of it's probably musicians, but I've also talked to, um, you know, uh, authors and uh, chefs and things like that so i'm happy to get uh well i mean you are also an author but uh, a, a tattooer uh an author a podcaster i, I don't know uh, when you find the time to sleep yeah my uh, girl yells at me all the time she's like you don't have any time you're always busy so <laughs> they're good at that yeah I'll, I'll sleep when i'm dead yeah that's what i say too that's what i say too but uh yeah dan hank it's hard to not sound like you're saying Hank, but it's Hank, H-E-N-K. You know where it probably is? It's probably, it's a very common German first name. And my, my grandfather moved here right before the war. Like everyone in Ellis Island, if they had like this complex German last name, they just go, okay, what's your first name? Okay, that's it. Nice. Nice. Well, it's funny. I heard your name um, through my years. Uh through you doing a guest spot um and maybe you've done more around here but specifically uh 570 tattooing company with ron russo shout out ron um he did my first half sleeve very well yeah yeah he did my first half sleeve way back in the day 2007 into 2008 uh so it's been it's been a minute i haven't seen ron in a long time i follow him on facebook and social media looks like he's doing well but uh i've always saw your name uh attached to that uh tattoo shop and uh so I'm, I'm i'm excited to kind of talk to you and and uh you have quite quite a, a story um 
you know, your quick bio reads that uh, you were homeless, you were stabbed by a crackhead, and you beat brain cancer, and now you're a, success, a successful author, tattoo artist, podcaster, all that. And we'll get into all that. But um, first, tell me uh, and my listeners, who is Dan Hank outside of what I just mentioned? Well, there's a running theory I'm a cyborg. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't know if I subscribe to that or if it's just like some glitch in the matrix or whatever, but um, I, I'm just a guy who's trying to do things through life. And, you know, sometimes it's a lot harder than other times. You know, sometimes obstacles come up, but kind of my, uh, my running goal is, you know, I'll try and make it work. No matter what happens, I just keep going. And talk about um, your upbringing. Where you're from? Well, my dad's army, so I've moved all around. I lived in Germany. I lived in North Carolina. I lived in Florida, um, and then you know I lived in Virginia. And after I left home, I lived in Texas. I live in New York right now. Um, I own a shop here in New York. Um, I've been back to PA a number of times both do guest boss i I worked at uh, deep six paul acker shop for a while then i moved back here then i moved and worked at third dimension which is brian murphy's shop brian murphy's a good friend of me and ron and then i moved back here and now i run a shop very cool so you're uh i guess you're you're well traveled i try to make it around um I try to do vacations and like I found out with conventions, like people think, you know, it's awesome with conventions and, you know, guest spots, you can go anywhere and it is cool, but you often don't get to see much. You just go inside a tattoo studio and spend all day just working on tattoos. And often if you come from, you know, somewhere far away, then, you know, people want to get something dramatic and big, you and you know you want to oblige and you know you, you end up spending all day working that tattoo what's that like doing uh you know the guest spots where you're traveling to to a shop where people are like oh man like i gotta i gotta book a, an appointment at 570 for instance with dan hank he's gonna be in town for a day or two days or whatever it is like that's kind of got to be a cool like i mean you get to a level where people like seek you out that's pretty neat right well i i feel like in my like 15 minutes of fame when i was like in all the magazines and people were inviting me to do guest spots and conventions overseas sometimes they even pay for my plane flight but they'd always pay for my booth or you know my hotel and they usually give me 100 percent. It, it it was like i said that was like right when i had my 15 minutes of fame so i i think that the idea was, you know, kind of like Nike will sponsor people. You you bring people in that make you look good. Yeah. And talk about your 15 minutes of fame. You, what kind of magazines were you in? Uh, it was in a lot. <laughs> I mean, everything from like smaller magazines, like there's a magazine just called Pain. Um, I was in that. I, I've been, I don't know how many uh, tattoo magazines, um, Skin Art, Skin Deep, uh, Tattoo Review, Hardcore Tattoos, Tattoos for Men, um, Tattoo Magazine. Um, they have one called the Swedish Tattoo Magazine. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, a lot. Right. Plus, there's a lot of books. Like That that was the era where like a lot of people like to capture tattoo artists. 
like uh Mike Breeze did um Prodigies one and two. Um two also has Ron Russo in it, but it, he's like, you know, hey, new people that are comfortable up the scene, I'll put them in there. So, you know, you'd have a couple pages in there. It's kind of cool. nice to be like in this big hardcover book, yeah. That's awesome. That's one thing about art. It's just like, you know, it, it's it's it lasts essentially it could last forever, right? Like, you know, even when you're gone, right? Like your art will, you know, live on someone's skin, um, you know, in in magazines and books and and hanging on walls in people's houses. That's that's like kind of gotta be a, a neat thing to think about. Right. Well, especially if you do something that's like a little bit more like unique. Um, as opposed to somebody who just like follows the latest trends and bangs whatever is popular at the moment out that temp that tends not to last beyond like you know that 10 year lifespan of that popular image or whatever. Yeah. I mean, did tattooing find you or did you find it? Like how did you get into the uh the industry? Well, I always wanted to be, I couldn't decide if I want to be a writer or an artist, and then I read like uh some of the first really advanced comic books like uh watchman and the dark Knight rises and i was like oh you can do both and uh i went to art school um on my own dime um after i got away from being homeless and um i remember my art teacher said if you want to make it as an artist you got to move to new york so i moved to new york and um i had a opportunity to apprentice back when i was like 19 and i was thinking the tattoos were all like the Kind of like what Mike Ness has, like the small traditional American tattoos. And I was like that. I wanted to be covered in it, but I was like, I don't want to do that for a living. And then when I moved to New York, while well, I was like, uh, I went to Penguin Books, I interviewed with DC Comics and stuff. And, you know, I was doing a lot of band art and a lot of bands, they don't pay. <laughs> you know, it, it like, you're like, oh, it's such a great band, but it turns out they're like 24 year old kids. And, you know, they, they keep pressuring you to get artwork done, do the artwork. You're like, hey, man, I got to pay Rick. Can I get some money? And they go, oh, talk to the label. And you talk to the label. The label goes, well, we give them an advance. And part of that advance goes towards paying for the cover art. And then you talk to the, to the musician. And he goes, oh, I didn't know that. I already spent it. <laughs> you know, so then I was like trying to figure out how I could pay the bills doing artwork. And I had a friend of my brother's who saw my paintings. And he's like, he should learn how to tattoo. And he taught me how to tattoo. And uh, I figured I would tattoo until I got a, quote, real job. You know, and uh, I just liked it so much. I, I've stuck with it ever since. It's kind of like right now, even if like, uh, say, Hollywood bought one of my scripts and, you know, I made a ton of money, I, I wouldn't give up tattooing. I, I tattoo less. I'd only tattoo the projects I really, really am into. But I still do it because I enjoy it. Yeah. And what are you into? What do you specialize in? It, kind of dark uh, realism. I, I wouldn't say it's horror per se. I, I've been tagged as like the horror artist for the longest time. Um, before that, I was kind of tagged as like the HR Gaga guy because a lot of guys wouldn't do like the kind of detailed, intricate biomechanics that HR Geiger does. So I actually did that and I got so tired of doing nothing but that that I stopped doing that for a while. I refused to do any Geiger stuff. But I kind of got pigeonholed into being the horror guy. And I enjoy horror, you know, but it's like I, I feel like I dark imagery is a wide spectrum. And there's a lot of stuff that I kind of draw influence from that I enjoy doing. 
And it's not necessarily what's the goriest or like the most iconic. It's what I think is most interesting. And it's it's funny, like I feel like artists kind of tend to get labeled as something, regardless of what they want to do. Um, you know, you guys said, kind of said you were like the the horror guy, and um, a lot of guys are pin uh, pigeonholed into like um, uh, portraits and, and things like that. Like, was it hard to kind of break out of that, per se, like so to speak? I, I think well. One is the danger, like you'll hear from like a lot of Hollywood actors and stuff, like they, they get stereotyped into one specific role and kind of get that with tattooing. Like, this is what he does. Like, I, I remember for a while I was working down in Texas and a guy came to me to get a skull because he heard, if you want a skull, you got to go to Dan Hank. You know, so I was like the skull horror guy. And I'd even have people that wanted like, something more generic or more more genial like uh like a portrait of a family member and they try and like you know shift it over into a kind of a horror spectrum so because i thought that would be what they would need to get me to do it but um anything anything realistic that kind of grabs my attention i enjoy doing and how long have you been doing this for tattooing uh a little over 23 years 23 years I always hear of uh, tattooers uh, having back problems. Is that is that uh, is that true? I've heard that nonstop from a lot of people I work with. Um, it hasn't happened to me, but I do a lot of stretching because I'm also big into MMA. So I do jiu-jitsu and I do. Um, no kidding. I'm, I'm a blue belt in jiu-jitsu. Well, blue belt two stripes. I I did jiu-jitsu. I'm second level jiu-jitsu. I do Muay Thai. I'm um, Muay Thai doesn't really belts, but I'm I'm a, a black white Kerrang, which is you know it's pretty high up on the scale. Like a black Kerrang means you're a teacher. Um, I, I did Taekwondo for years. I'm a secondary black belt in Taekwondo. I won a wow. gold medal at the uh, at the um, Virginia Championships. So like I do a lot of stretching. I do a lot of exercising. I think that it helps keep you like fluid and flexible. And you know, with tattooing, you like tend to sit and lean over and work on something for hours at a time. And if you don't stretch, you know that muscle, and you don't exercise that muscle, yeah, it causes a lot of problems. Yeah. How did you get into jujitsu and stuff like that? Well, when I was in high school, I got really into punk rock. Like I, I had a blue mohawk. I nice. had a spiky leather jacket. Like I looked like a British punk rocker. Okay. And. uh this was in Virginia, and uh, Virginia back in the late 80s, early 90s, was not receptive to that at all. So I'd get my ass kicked all the time. Like, you know, you'd just be walking down the street. You obviously look way different than everyone else. And, you know, people would roll by in the pickup truck and be like, hey, faggot. You'd be like, oh, fuck your mom. And then, you know, five guys would jump out and they'd beat your ass. So, like, I had my nose broken three times. And, you know, there were a lot of nasty skins at the time, and, you know, most of the girls I date aren't white, so that would be a big problem. And eventually, I just got tired of giving my ass kicks, so I'm like, I'm going to learn how to fight. So that was kind of the genesis of that. And uh, then after learning how to fight, you get in very few fights, so it's, it's <laughs> kind of funny how that works. 
But at least you're prepared. <laughs> well, I think so. And I, I mean, mean if somebody pulls a gun on me, I mean, despite all the videos you see, that's bullshit. You know, if somebody pulls a gun on you, give me your wallet. Right. Right. Yeah, don't be a hero, right? Yeah. Well, plus that that kind of uh, that combat is kind of like you know close combat. You know, you don't want to fuck with a, a guy with a gun, right? With with a gun or a knife, yeah. Right. I think Bruce Lee famously said if somebody pulled a knife on him, he would just give over his wallet. Like you know, it's like even Bruce Lee was like, yeah, I don't want to play around because like one most people who get in, in knife fights die. I think there's like even if they have the knife, if the other guy also has the knife. There's like a thirty percent survival rate. Really? Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah, I can't fight, so I don't fight. Uh, <laughs> I would definitely be the one to uh, give up my wallet. <laughs> I'm trying to get my my kid into some form of like karate just for self defense, because I mean the world is a, a mean place. I mean, obviously you dealt with a lot of shit. I mean, um, and obviously I'm not going to be around all the time. And even if I am, I'm not going to fight another child. So it's like, I just want him to kind of like be familiar and, and just kind of get some, some techniques down just to defend himself in case, you know, he were to, you know, come across any kind of trouble. Well, but if he, he's more familiar or if he's, uh, if there are studios near you, I put him in a Muay Thai studio because Muay Thai is way better than, than karate. Muay Thai. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he has no interest in that kind of stuff. He's a sweet kid. He's like, I mean, I I'm not like again. I, I don't fight. I don't um. I don't do any of that kind of stuff. I'm always intrigued by it. I'm always curious about it. I keep saying like I'm too old to get involved in it. Um, I know that that's not true, but I, you know, in my mind, I just say like, oh, I, I can't start that now. I'm too old. But um, yeah, he's not an aggressive kid, so like he sees that kind of stuff, and I don't think he like is necessarily drawn to it. You know what I'm saying? Right. Well, it's not like street fighting. It's not like, you know, you go there and solve thugs and they just want to beat the crap out of you. It's, it's, right. You, know, you, you learn a lot of technique. You you know, learn a lot of self-confidence. You, you, you learn a lot of stuff that just, like, I think makes you a better person. Yeah, I just saw um, Lex Friedman. Um, there he is, yeah. Yeah, brilliant guy. I think he, I forget what he was saying, but he said he learned more on the mats doing i think jujitsu yeah which uh, is also what i recommend yeah, yeah what he said he learned more doing that than he ever learned in school or or any of that kind of stuff right so yeah i mean my son's only five years old so you know maybe i'll, I'll convince him in the the next couple of years but <laughs> but well, uh, like I, I said it's not like a thuggery where like you know all right just go out back and put it out it's like you know it's more like especially that age like they focus on technique and stuff like right. that. Stuff like that is very good. I know. And like I said, once you learn how to fight, you don't get that many fights. Right, which is good. It's like when you buy a four-wheel drive car. <laughs> it never snows. <laughs> that happened to me before. <laughs> but uh but dude, I mean, like you you have this like I mentioned before, author, you know, you you're you know, martial arts and, and things like that. You're a tattoo artist. Um Talk a little bit about the other things. I think you just have a, a book you just released recently, right? Yeah, I've um, so I've been doing this for quite a while, and it's kind of 
hard to find what to focus on. Like I did a horror calendar for three years, and I get people like uh like Chizar put something there. Like uh, Chizar did some of the illustrations for the band Tool, you know. And um, I, I had a bunch of people that I thought were really good artists that were contributing to it, but like after three years, it was just a pin in the ass, and there was no real. You know, like you barely broke even. You're spending all the time working on it. Um, I did cartoons for uh, Tattoo Arts Magazine for a couple of years. It's like, see, you, I keep going from one thing to another until I try and find a niche where, like, I can enjoy myself and express myself and hopefully make some money off of it. But if I don't make money, then I can make money off tattooing, and at least I do something I enjoy. Right. So how do you but, how are how are you able to do all of it? <laughs> Seriously, um, like you just have to you have to you have to budget. Um, you have to schedule your time. Like I I know like like every single day I go for like about a ten mile bike ride, and uh, really that's yeah that's, that's people uh, are like you know I don't have time to do that, and and I go to the gym every single day, you know, and people are like I don't have time to do that, but then they'll sit down they'll play a video game for three hours. I was like, well, you could do that if you weren't playing a video game for three hours. Like, well, I needed this to relax. Well, after a while, that bike ride and that going to the gym helps you relax. Right. Yeah, I I talk about that a lot because, like, I just turned 40 a few months ago. Uh, I'm not getting any thinner. Got two kids, a full-time job. I I, I do this at at night when my kids are sleeping. Um, And it's like... You know, it's always an excuse, right? Like if if you, it's an excuse if you say you can't work out or you can't do stuff like that. And I agree with that. Like I could get up earlier and I could do whatever. But like I mean, you know, and, and my daughter, she'll be by the time this comes out, she'll have just turned one. So like my sleep schedule sucks. Um, it's it's tough. Like and you work all day, you come home, you do dinner with the kids, you do bath time, you do books before bed. When that's all over, it's like nice to like sit down with my wife and like talk about how our day was or how talk right. about our future, talk about our children's future, or just or just sit there like for an hour before we go to bed and watch TV just to kind of decompress and just kind of like just kind of let this all the, the stresses melt away, you know? Um, but you're right. I mean, it is it's it's an excuse. Well, I think what happens, I, I think like probably the best way that i found to deal with it like as far as like going for the run or going to the gym i tried to get up a little bit earlier and do that like i i've done plenty of conventions with ron and you know my alarm will go off and he's like turn that off turn off it's like (laughs) but i need to wake up because i'm gonna go to the gym and go for a run and then i'll go to the convention but because you got a little bit of exercise a little bit of fresh air you feel better you know, yeah. so like you, you can tolerate more, you can do more. Like, I don't feel like it takes away from my time. Sure. No, I mean, if if, if it's important to you, you know, it doesn't feel like it's intruding on, on stuff like that. Are you also into the ice baths and the saunas too? I don't do the ice bath. I've done the sauna because I've had to lose weight from vice before. Um, I'm not a big fan of the sauna, but I don't hate the sauna. It's just not something I do on a regular basis. I know Joe Rogan, a number of people talk about like, you know, how much you can affect the body chemistry and stuff like that. I haven't really noticed that. Yeah, they were saying that like, you know, just being in the sauna increases your heart rate. 
right. just by sitting there and it, you know, obviously it causes you to your body to adjust but uh but i think ron's been working out recently with at least uh, the last year or two well he does I, i've known ron a long time yeah and uh he does and then you know he gets off it and then he gets back on it um i think even ron tell you i've done it consistently since i've known him i've known him for over a decade yeah yeah, I have to uh, stop by. They just moved. I don't know how long ago it was, but I, like I said, I haven't seen Ron in a while. But well, I think that like their home is still in the same place. It's in Kingston, um, but the shop was in downtown Wilkes Bar, and right. uh, finally, the last generation of that shop kind of broke apart, and he opened a private studio in Kingston, mm-hmm. and he has one person working there with him. Oh, is that the setup now? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, he's very popular in this area, and I, I was outside this area too. But yeah, he's he's been a that's that shop has been a staple for a long time. Well, five cent no tattooing. Yeah, that, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. still called five cent no, but it, like you said, it's more of like a private studio. Studio, got it. Cool. Well, the book you just released uh, is called "The End of the World." Well, the the end of the world is the last book I release. I have three novels out, right. but what I've been working on recently is um, I did an anthology. So I do a lot of uh, like illustrations for horror magazines and you know and a lot of uh, book covers for horror books. And I told a number of authors, I was like, I will give you one of the original illustrations I do, either for this book or that I've done previously for one of your stories. In exchange for a short story. So I had um, 14 different authors give me, you know, short stories, like 3,000 and 5,000 words. And I put together in an anthology. And, you know, some, some of them are fairly big names. Some are fairly obscure. Uh, there were a couple people that I unfortunately had turned down because I didn't like their stuff very much. But, uh, but I really enjoyed the book. And um by owning a tattoo shop, it gives me the freedom to have like a little bit more time to work on other projects. So like I illustrated every story and I did caricatures of all the artists involved, you know, and I painted the front cover and painted the back cover. And I did a couple, you know, extraneous illustrations there. So I'm pretty proud of it. And uh, it's called The Never Dead. It just debuted on like Amazon. It'll be up in Audible in like two weeks. Oh, so that's your newest yeah okay i don't know why i thought the end of the world was the uh the newest one well the end of the world is the newest one that i did by myself that's right. like a full novel by me yeah and you know I, I was hyping that a lot and uh then i just did the anthology so right. you know obviously i'm hyping the anthology a lot of course and a lot yeah. of time and effort into it that's so cool i mean what's that like having that kind of like like library, so to speak, of like things that you've done and that you have like available for people to, you know, either purchase or, or read or, or you know, what's that like? Well, I don't even look at it like that. I mean, I, I like that I have more rather than having less. Um, you know, it's always a good feeling when people say, you know, hey man, I love your artwork, and they, you know, I have stuff like. You can buy my stuff on Etsy. You can buy my stuff on Fine Art America, you know. So when people buy prints of my stuff or T-shirts or whatever, I always enjoy that, you know. And, and they often throw in a compliment, and I enjoy that as well. But I also enjoy reading. I love telling stories, you know. So 
it, but I also love when people like the tattoos I do. It's like it, I, I'm easy to please. What I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, imagine like being a visual artist like you are, um, kind of helps with those novels. Being able to kind of like create that that imagery for the reader. Well, here's what it does. Like, I, I have a podcast, and I talk to a lot of authors about this all the time. Uh, many are not artists; they're authors. Although, you know, I would argue you do anything well, that's an art. But you know, you so you have authors, and they, you know, they don't visualize it probably the same way I do. So, like, like I, I'll give you. This sounds like an aside, but it's actually I think relevant. It's like, like I remember I read a fairly famous sci-fi book. You know, and he's describing all this stuff that takes place, you know, like light years away and other planets and, you know, strange new worlds. And all, but he's describing nothing. So I'm like, I can't picture this at all. So as an artist, I have to be able to draw a picture of it. So I try and include that in my writing. I try and include, you know, what the, the scene looks like, like what you see in front of you. And I actually try and whatever character it is, I try to be in their head, seeing through their eyes when I when I put it down on paper. Yeah, I mean that's I think it all kind of ties together. And you know, they always say you know a starving artist. Like they, a lot of people will say, don't don't go to school for arts, don't go to school for that that kind of stuff. But I feel like parents says, yeah, maybe you could speak to this, like. That's it's it's tough, right? I mean, art is so subjective. Like you could create, you can paint something or, or draw something or whatever it might be, or even uh, a tattoo, and someone could say, "Oh, that to me is worth five thousand dollars," and that somebody else could be worth five hundred dollars, right? Right. But I mean, in this day and age, with everything we have at our fingertips, you know, the internet, and you know, you, you mentioned Etsy before. Like, do you think it? I imagine all those things kind of help an artist, you know, display their work, you know, share their work with, you know, the entire world as opposed to the the town they live in and, and things like that. Have, have you been able to really utilize those those outlets to to kind of further your your brand? Yeah, I, th- I think that definitely helps. I think uh, most artists have a pretty heavy social media presence. So, like, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, I'm on TikTok, I'm on Instagram, you know, and I have a website and I have a blog. And whenever I do, it's pretty easy because whenever I do anything, uh, I'll make a post about it, including, like, the artwork and the text and all that. And I'll just cut and paste, you know, between all the various social sites. But it's like, I feel like you got to, I mean, you know the the famous phrase, you got to fake it till you make it? You know, so that's so, yeah, that, that's I, I try and put everything out there. Like if the magazine has three readers, I don't care. You know, I want to get myself out there because those three readers might be the ones that love my book so much that they, you know, talk to their friends in Hollywood about it. Or, you know, you, you never know. But I, I think you should like if you're really trying to get something out there, I, I think it helps to like just throw as much out there and bombard all the airways with as much as you possibly can. I, I, I say this a lot. It's, you know, when I'm guests on podcasts and it, it, it tends to come up as well. And I, I talk about on, on this one a lot too. It, I always say it only takes one. It only takes right. one person to, you know, see your art. It might take one person to, 
you know, see what I'm doing and, and, you know, maybe help me along my way or, you know, a, a musician, it takes one, one person to hear one song that could take them to the next level. Um, and Hey, you know what? You agree to do a podcast with five listeners. So, you know, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, the thing is like everybody that you hear that made it, that's like a big name now, they, they kind of made it by chance. So they just got into that lucky position, but it's not like you know, they're just plodding along on the day and they just happened to the lucky position. It's like they were trying really hard and then something worked for them. Like, like Brad Pitt was like living in a car. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I remember um, Frank Frazetta, you know, who's one of my favorites. Um, and I was at art school. My art teacher was asking me, well, who do you like to look up to? And I, I mentioned him. He said, well, for every Frazetta, there were 10 people that were even better that never made it. But, you know, what Frazetta did is I remember he did. Um, so there was a there's a comic strip by Al Cap, And he was like kind of the ghost artist on that for six years. Then him and Al Cap, it was called Little Abner. And it, so th- they got in a fight about something and he quit. And he goes, well, I'm famous. I've been doing this comic strip for six years. He could not get work. Nobody would hire him. And then he was good friends with um, Roy Crinkle, who did um, a bunch of book covers. And uh, But Roy was, uh, he's really slow. And uh, there was one, he's like, I just don't think I'll have time to do it. Can you take a chance with my friend Frank? And so they paid Frank like half what they would pay Roy and they kept the original, but they got him in. And then after that, he just blew up. And then he was doing stuff for Playboy and for the movies and, you know, and everybody knows who he is now. It's crazy how things happen. I mean, are you on threads now? Am I on what? Threads? No, what's threads? (laughs) Threads is the newest social media platform. I've never even heard of it. I I just heard it for the first time, maybe late last night, and then into today. Um, it's like I, I, from what I understand, it's like uh, a, a version. Well, it's owned by Meta, so Facebook, Instagram, and it's like their version of Twitter. Okay. So that you know, Twitter's in, under this whole, you know, thing. They they just got uh, they're catching a lot of fire because. They're limiting the amount of um, uh, <clears throat> tweets you can read. I think if you're verified, you can read like 6,000 tweets. If you're not, it's like... Were there half- more restrictions that are Jack Dorsey in the left and then Elon Musk bought it? And then now... I, I don't know. I'm not a big Twitter guy. I'm not either. I, I, I don't... I'm not a huge fan of Twitter, but like... So the, the logic behind it or the... the, the I, I, From what I understand, I'm not the smartest person in the world and I just read about it today, is Elon Musk and his team are trying to eliminate bots and fake okay. accounts, which I mean... So I... I think what they're doing is was is good. They're trying to limit, like you know, these bots that are scrolling through pages and shit like that. So they they they're trying to limit people and how much they could kind of like absorb. Um, unless you're verified, unless you're a verified account and you you know pay for that little check mark or whatever it might be. And how much do you have to pay? Is it a lot? I don't know what the cost is. Um, is is per month? I don't know that for sure. I, again, it's one of those things like. I don't use Twitter that that often, so it's not really important to me. But I mean, I, I appreciate what he's doing because there are so many 
fake accounts and and hackers and and bots like if he could figure out a way to eliminate those i i'm all for that but they're catching a lot of fire uh his ceo um i forget her name but she's under a lot of uh uh you know she's under the microscope right now but like the i i i see the vision and i appreciate it but we'll see what happens because meta like i said they just released their version of of uh Twitter, I guess you could say, and uh, it's quite it's quite easy. I just I sign up today, and then you can it's it's all tied to Instagram. You can literally, when you sign up, you could say, "Do you want to follow all of your Instagram followers, or or do you want to follow all the people you follow on Instagram?" I said yes. So I've been getting notifications all day from people who have been signing up, just saying, "Oh, you now follow so and so. You now follow." Dan Hank, you now follow whoever as they kind of filter into the the system. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. It was interesting. I'll have to check it out. Threads? Threads. Yeah. By the time this airs, which will be next week, today is July 6th. Uh, So figure a week or so today. Um, Threads might be old news. Who knows? (laughs) They they come and go, you know? Like there was... There was Vine. Vine was hot for you know three or four months. Yeah, you can't tell. You know, some stuff takes off, and you're like, "Why that? Why did yeah. that take off?" I don't know, man. I don't know if you're on TikTok and things like that, and like it just like the amount of the videos that I see that have millions of views. It's like, how does this have? I am on TikTok. It's like maybe I'd have more views if I like wore a tutu and did a little dress, you know, whatever. But like, I just post myself on there. Yeah, it's weird. I, I mean, I started cutting these into reels. I've been posting those. I mean, you know, it's just another outlet. Again, you know, it's you never know. You know, you can find one video that goes viral or whatever it might be. But uh, it's it's a lot, man. It's it's a lot to you know do on your own. You're constantly posting on TikTok and and Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and now Threads and and you know you're doing martial arts. You're tattooing and you're you know you don't want to shop um uh you know where do you find the time to do all this stuff it's like give me a break yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well it, it, if there are certain things that i feel like i want to accomplish and if i put one off for too long i feel like something's missing like if it's been too long since i've written or drawn you know or tattooed you know, I feel like there's a hole in my life. So I, I definitely work on it. And, and one thing, I, like, more and more I'm doing the the writing, you know, and the drawing for other authors now than I've ever done before. And that's very fulfilling to me. You know, and uh, I remember, um, so sorry to backtrack on this, but, um, you know, back in, in 2001, I had brain cancer. So I was in the hospital with the Twin Towers went down. Oh, you know, shit. Yeah, I wow. was in ICU in Bellevue, which is the closest hospital to the Twin Towers when they went down. And like, I, you don't sleep in ICU. So I remember like, you know, when they first announced it, everyone thought it was like an accident, like a plane crashed into one of the towers. And then when the second tower was hit, they're like, oh, wait, it's terrorism. And for some reason, the... Uh, TV stopped working, so we're hearing everything on the radio. And then the TV, it's all Spanish TV, but we're seeing the pictures. 
And I remember the nurses kind of freaking out and running around. And I'm like, I'll leave. And they're like, sit down. <laughs> you know? like, I'm in a bed with my head wrapped up like the invisible man, like a brain plug coming out. You know? But um, and it was kind of surreal. Like when I got out, you know, like four days later, like the air's all smoky and like paper's still coming down, like scratch paper. People are walking down the street crying and stuff. Yeah. I mean, it, it looked like something from like, you know, The Walking Dead or, you know, The Stand. But uh, I think like that and then my wife dying and didn't run, you know, kind of put lit a fire in my ass. It's like, you really got to get on this shit because life is fucking short. Yeah, I mean, Jesus, you really hit me with a lot there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, first of all, I, like, that's terrible. Um, talk about that. Uh, so not only did you have brain cancer, you had brain cancer during uh, a, a terrorist attack on the United States, right? Right. I, I mean, talk in, in that was at this point 22 years ago, right? Um, yeah. So that puts you what late 20s early 30s exactly yeah late 20s i mean was that diagnosed um like suddenly or did you like how did how did that all like so real, real quick like today as 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 dan hank today um su- successful you know tattoo sh- to t- tattoo shop owner just artist creator you know uh, author i mean you're doing very well and you, you seem like you're you're fulfilled just with everything that you do, which is amazing, right? Like, so let's go back 22 years ago. You have brain cancer. Was that like, was that diagnosed suddenly, or how? how I mean, how what was that like? Well, at the time I was doing uh, Jiu Kudo, which is Bruce Lee's martial art, and um, that's another one I recommend for his son. Um, it, it's. Basically, it's not a martial art like karate where it has a specific curriculum. It's more whatever works. So we did Muay Thai, we did Brazilian Jitsu, we did Pantukin, which is uh, Filipino dirty boxing. Uh, we did Kalina Screamo, which is sick and knife fighting. Um, and so I was doing all that stuff, and I was very much into that, like doing seminars and you know training all the time. Like Miguel Diaz uh, gave me my blue belt in jiu-jitsu, and uh, Kareem was our Muay Thai teacher. And then I started getting headaches. And uh, at the time, I, I'd been tattooing for about two years, and you know I was like, I take an aspirin and then go to work. And then eventually the headache started coming back. So then I take an aspirin in the morning and an aspirin at night. And after two weeks, I was like, this isn't normal. Something's going on. Right. So I went to a clinic, but, you know, I was broke at that time. So I went to like a local um, Spanish clinic and, you know, they said, oh, well, you know, you have migraines. Uh, we have free medicine. We'll give you a sample. Oh, wait, we don't. But I'll write you a prescription. So I took the prescription to a local pharmacy. They couldn't even read the handwriting. They're trying to call the guy. He won't pick up the phone. Um, they said, go to a better clinic. So I went to a better clinic, and uh, they pumped me full of saline solution. They said, oh, you're probably dehydrated. Call us tomorrow if things are worse. And uh, the next day, I was like, uh, like me and my girl, you know, had Chinese food the night before. So I was, like, throwing it up. I felt like I had a jackhammer to the back of my head. I was, like, leaning over the sink, you know. I wanted to put a gun in my mouth and just end it. I was like, you know, I, I can't deal with this. Fuck this. And, uh she kept calling and calling. And finally, when she got them to like go to the hospital, 
So I went to the hospital and they're like, what did you do? I said, boy, tie. They go, oh, it's a brain bleed. So they put me in a CAT scan. They go, oh, wait, it's cancer. You know, and I was like, okay. And they're like, so, you know, it's a slow growing tumor about golf ball size. It wasn't in the brain. It was like beside the brain. It was like pressing against it, which is why I had all these headaches. Sure. Yeah. And, and they're like, you know, Probably in about two weeks, it would like split open and it's all necrotic tissue on the inside. So you would die. So we've got to operate on you right away. Like they had to wait four days to do MRIs with contrast and all that sort of stuff. And uh, so they said, yeah, we've got to operate on you right away. And you have about a 50 50 chance of making it. I was like, okay. You know, my girl's like, you don't care. She started crying. I'm like, well, of course I care, but what am I going to do? Right. <laughs> you know? And like, I remember me and my parents don't get along, but I, I remember I called my parents and I told them, they're like, well, you know, we come see you, but last minute tickets are expensive. So then, you know, I had surgery and uh, unless we were living in the matrix, I lived. So, you know, then I'm in ICU recovering when um, the Twin Towers went down. What was going I mean, What was going through your head? I mean, like that seems like a a pretty like big whirlwind of, of information. Like, you go from having headaches to oh, we have brain cancer, we need to do surgery now. Um, your parents are like, yeah, uh, you'll be fine. Parent, uh, tickets are expensive. Like, what was it, like? Were you at any point were you like ready to like if this is the end, this is the end? Like, how did you kind of comprehend all that? Well, I, I can have like. I feel like everything I've done in life, I had to fight to get there. Like, my parents are super conservative, super religious. Like, I had to go to church four times a week when I was a kid. Um, I, I had, uh, like, there's, like, a Christian version of the Boy Scouts called Northern Frontiers. I had to go there. You know, then when I got to punk rock, they said, well, obviously, there's something wrong with you. So they're trying to send me to psychiatrists all the time. And, you know, I, I feel like everything I've had to do, I had to fight for it. So when something like brain cancer came up, I'd only been tattooed in two years. I was like, well, I'm not going to, like, even while I was undergoing chemotherapy and all that stuff, I was still working three days a week. I was still going to the gym, you know, and um, I'd get a, I, I'd bike to the Hespel Center, which is where I chemotherapy. And, you know, they're like, did you bike here? I'm like, yeah, you can't give up. You can't give up. You know, but I, I feel that's the way it is. Like, because if, if you fail, if you die and you don't do anything, the only one that really cares is you. Right. So I, I just feel like, you know, you have two choices. Either you can wallow in your misery or you can try and make something work. Now, I'm guessing that that was after you were homeless, too. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, did you hear the homeless story? Dude, I want to hear. I want to hear all of it. I mean, I, I, I so I'm glad we got the like the important stuff out of the way, and I say important uh, loosely. Um, you know, talking about you know who you are today and that the the all the the success that you've had, but like like all that happened, you know, outside of all these bad things happening, like or unfortunate situation, like you you have literally risen from the ashes really it's it's insane I, I love those stories and i love those um moments because there's not a lot of people out there who could do that i mean it happens right like people do that a lot but like it's it's rare it's 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 less than normal maybe i don't know like 
talk about you're, you're homeless. Like, well, my parents are are very conservative, um, and uh, like I'm sure they voted for Trump. I'm, you know, every they've always voted nothing but Republican the whole way, um, and they're very religious too. Um, and you know, I, I'm more like I was a punk rocker. I'm very libertarian. I'm just like you know, you know. You do your thing, I'll do my thing, everybody leave everybody alone, you know. And uh my parents, you know, I remember they used to tell me they're like, until you turn 18, you're under our rule. So we tell you what to do. Like I remember they locked up my brother for the entire summer in the mental institute just because he was a punk rocker. And uh I think that fucked him up. He uh, died of an overdose this year. But like I saw the change in him after that, you know. It, it's like they're they're like it's not even a matter of like, hey, we'll tell you what we're into and try and guide you. It was like, you have to be exactly like we want you to be or else. Mm-hmm. You know, so I remember like I was in, um, I start, just starting high school down in Florida. My dad was stationed down there. And uh, I remember there were a lot of like local comic shops. And I go there and like, you know, they critique my art. Like there were some indie artists there, you know, they did like uh, indie black and white comic books. And, you know, I get a lot of, uh, like, back and forth from them. And I was into, like, metal, like, you know, Metallica and Megadeth and stuff. Sure. So I, I didn't I didn't look that crazy. But then I got heavily into punk rock. We moved to Virginia, and, and that's when I had, like, the Mohawk and the jacket and all that stuff. And um, I even had, like, black eyeliner, you know. And um, I remember, first of all, my dad looked at me like, I can't believe you're related to me, you know. Right. And, you know, they got, they tried to, they tried to get stricter and stricter. I think they kind of figured I was a lost cause and my brother is three years younger, which is why they put him in the medical institute. But like, it was like everything they did was just trying to like, you know, hold you down and make you follow their pattern. And I was like, if you're going to be happy with anything, you've got to fight to do your own thing. And that I feel like that's like, uh, this is going to sound really dramatic, but I feel like my whole life I've been fighting. You know, you got to fight to be what you are. So when anything would come up, you know, rather, rather than go, oh, man, oh, that's unfortunate. I'm just like, all right, that's a speed bump. How do I get past this? I don't think that's dramatic at all. Like the shit that, I mean, you've gone through, like that's, you know, it's one of those things. And it's, I I think people are successful because of the shit that they've had to overcome. Like, well, there might be an aspect to that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like that's not the only reason, but like it's, it's so admirable. Like when, when someone has, you know, overcome all those obstacles to like, you know, it's, it's made them who they are today. Right. But they've also definitely, yeah. It makes you who you are. Yeah. But it's like, it's, and it's also crazy to think about like parents and I'm, and I'm not, talking about your parents specifically but like how parents can be like that to their children you know like you're this way you're 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 you know out of the house or you're you're you know they're not they weren't and i get it, is that it's a generational thing too like and we're i think we're constantly kind of trying to overcome those right. those things and i mean i'm a, I'm a very hands-on dad um and i pride well, myself some people go too far the other way like they just like they're like, do whatever you can be too lax with them. Sure, you of know? course, yeah, hundred uh, percent, yeah. But um, there's a difference between you know 
like not being too lax with them, but kind of letting them express themselves within boundaries and, you know, trying to clamp down on them to make them robots just the way you want them to be. Well, yeah, I mean, like you said, your your brother passed away from overdose. Like, that's terrible. And you think yeah. it's because of, of you know, your parents putting him into... Uh, they put him in a missile institute for being a, a teenage punk rocker. And, I mean, it's music. Like, that's 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 sad. That's that's sad to hear. Well, I'm sure he's doing like the like in their eyes the typical teenage yeah. rebellious stuff. Yeah. Like you know, but, sometimes skipping school, sometimes you know, hanging out with friends and like you know, like like maybe like shoplifting a CD or something. But like not all the time. It's not like you know, it's right. like you know, it's just like that's what kids do. Kids you do know, stupid it, shit. We all yeah. do stupid shit. I mean, yeah. like. I don't even like. I I would love to share a story, but I don't want to just because if my kid ever hears it. Um, but and I'll, I mean, I'll tell you when we're done. But like some of the stuff that I've done, like I'm not proud of. But like you know, you, you don't think about the 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 you know twenty years later. You don't think that far ahead. And as long as you're not hurting anybody, if not you're, you're not like physically hurting anybody. Like what's 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 the problem? Wait, well, my dad, like, this is a very, like, he got this from the Bible, I'm sure. Like, the, you know, the, he quoted this all the time, the, like, spare the rod, spoil the child, you know. And uh, so I, I remember, like, he made, like, a, like, he, he would give us uh, spankings all the time, but he made this, like, piece of wood and like he was very proud of it like so proud he tells about it like oh it doesn't bend you see how strong it is and he just like whack you as hard as he could with it you know and they just said like i ran away from home twice uh i i remember like before i turned 18 um they had my grandparents which were missionaries in africa over and uh they went through all my stuff so i came home from work one day and all my stuff is on the dinner table and deciding what i get to keep and what i don't get to keep you know there was a huge pile of what i did get to keep so like i ran back to my room and got my backpack and ran out and like stuffed all in there ran to a friend's house you know so for the entire rest of, of my senior year of high school it was at my friend's house and then, like, when I turned 18, which is, you know, halfway through my senior year of high school, they said, uh, all right, you're out of the house. And I, uh, a good friend, his mom, he had a single mom, and she was going to let me stay in their spare bedroom. And then after three days, they go, well, we decided if you don't graduate, you'll probably never make anything of yourself. So, you know, they let me back in the house, but I had to keep the room like a guest bedroom now, like always, like make the bed perfectly, you know, vacuum the floor, no posters on the walls. You know, all my stuff still had to stay at my friend's house because I couldn't have any of my like crazy punk rock stuff there. And then I graduated high school and I quit my job to take finals and then they kicked me out of the house. So like I was homeless for like eight months, like living in the woods, homeless. And then I crawled back up from there. Yeah, I would say, yeah. I mean yeah, I, I I've never experienced anything really hard. Um, and I'm I'm so thankful for that. But in the same sense, I'm just like it's it's I'm not it's, saying oh poor me, by the way. No, no, no. Dude, don't treat your kids no, like that. No, no, no. I, I I'm not I don't and I, I don't think any, any of my listeners will think that either. Like, not at all. 
it's like I I respect that so much because I mean I'm I'm so fortunate in my life that I, I've never had to do anything like that. Like I don't know, like maybe at that age I would have figured it out, but like I look back on it, who I am now, like if I was in that situation, what would I have done? I don't know. And there's people like that. There's people, you know, you you did it, you overcame it. But there's people out there every day that are doing that same shit. And it's crazy to think about. It's crazy to think that like. You know, someone's parents might just disapprove of, you know, the music they listen to, or you know, they want to go uh, be an artist, <laughs> and they want to go to an art school or whatever it might be. Like, and there's parents out there who are like, if you do that, you're not going to amount to anything in life. Like, you can't do that. It's it's yeah. I remember they told me art, art is not a career. And yeah. actually, my guidance counselor, because we were in a fairly conservative area for my uh, last years of high school. And I went to my guidance counselor because I couldn't get uh, anyone to co-sign a loan for college. And so I was asking, are there any like, um, you know, is there anything I can do? Are there any grants or anything? And she said, get ready for a career of pumping gas because that's all you'll ever do. Yeah. I, I mean, the guidance counselors I had when I was in school terrible i don't know how they got paid or why they got paid they didn't guide i i and i'm sorry if they ever hear this or see this they probably won't but that <laughs> they, they 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 just like no it's like like i don't know man like i remember if you weren't valedictorian and top of your you know top five of your class like they didn't care they didn't they didn't try guiding you and they would try and guide those 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 guys and girls that were top to like these Ivy League schools and shit like that. Like, and I think education is so weird, especially today with how things are and, you know, the internet exists and you can learn a lot just by going on YouTube. And, um, you know, it's well, so. I think there were a lot more judgmental back in those days, too. 100%. Like, uh, my SCTs were high enough to get into Harvard. Like, that's what they told me. My, my uh, GPA was 4.0. You know, I had almost photographic memory. You know, so I, like on paper, I did really well, but it didn't matter because I had like a mohawk and right. you know it looked funny. Yeah, so they're like, "Oh, well, this guy, we're not gonna like try and guide him in the right direction because he's gonna be a loser." Like, yeah, like I, guidance counselors like, back in the day, like in my opinion, were terrible, terrible. Uh, they should they should never have jobs that they, and they were not, I don't even know if they were qualified. It seems like it just. Well, I still remember bizarre. her face. I remember what she looked like. I remember her name. She's like, fuck that person. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it was so black and white for them. It was just like, if, if you looked funny, like, don't talk to me. Like, you need good grades. Like, you need to be that, that, like, you know, collared, um, you know, dressed up 4.0 student to, to go on to the next level. And that's so far from the truth. I mean, this world is so, such a, bad place i mean tr i mean when i was in school they're like oh don't do trade like we were you know use your brains not your hands now like we're in a place now where like trades are suffering and, you, you, and then people who are in trades they could name their price like electricians or plumbers yeah. make way more than yeah. most people who got a degree in education and something like that yes absolutely like they can name their price it's, it's gonna be a like hundred bucks just for them to walk in the door yeah and they have minimal student debt because I weren't in school for four plus years. And I mean, they're in demand. Like you can't find someone good 
to you know work on your house like you do it you know, yeah, I, i'm big on trade schools it, like that was the, the whole like education counselor thing like don't go to trade school go to exactly. college that's what i'm saying you know, but that's then exactly you'll be in college dead and you'll have no career while meanwhile the guy who went to trade school is set for life they didn't tell you that they didn't tell you about the debt yeah it's gotten so much worse i mean these kids are going to school and they're not even thinking about it they're like oh i was told to go to school they're going into a quarter million dollars in debt or more, and they get out and they're like, I mean, yeah, I m- might make good money, but you're, they're not paying that shit back because the interest is so fucking high. It's crazy. It's fucking crazy. But we can go on about that all day. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so you're homeless eight months. You you kind of you, you figured it out. Um, what happened when you got out of that situation? Like, what did you? Find somewhere to well, live. out of being homeless. Yeah. Well, the first job I got was at Chuck E. Cheese. So, like, I borrowed someone's clothes to, like, you know, go to the interview. And pretty much, Chuck E. Cheese has very, very low standards. You know, so they're also an incredibly horrible place to work for. So, I worked for them for about two weeks. And then I found a better job selling tuxedos, you know, which is kind of funny because even with the mohawk and looking that way, like I would sell way more tuxedos than anybody else because they didn't come off as a used car salesman. Right. It's like, I just talked to them like a normal person, you know, That's and they're it. like, okay, you know, and, and this was a slightly more like blue collar area. So that's what people wanted. They didn't want the guy who was all slick and, you know, would, would like put on a show for them. You know, they, they felt like he's like, you know, he's taking something from them. You know, but yeah, and I quit Chuck E. Cheese by calling from another job and saying, "Yeah, I'm gonna quit." And they're like, "Oh, you want to put in your two weeks?" So I'm like, "No, I'm at my other job right now." <laughs> <laughs> no, we're done you now. Yeah. <laughs> so then I worked there, and then I mean, I did everything. I was like a dishwasher. I went door to door for Greenpeace. Um, I, I worked as a telemarketer. I worked at a place called uh, it was called Kick Ash, and you call people, and they go, "Kick ass." You're like, no, no, he's kick ass, you know. And I remember, um, you know, uh, who Ian Mackay is like the guy from Fugazi and Minor Threat, but then before, yeah. Well, I called and he answers, and I go, Is this Ian Mackay from like Fugazi and Minor Threat? He's like, Don't tell anyone, <laughs> <laughs> but he's like, Yeah, we don't have a chimney, but yeah, so I did a whole bunch of jobs, and then finally, I went to a community college for art and like. I worked two jobs, got around on like a shitty little motorcycle. Like, you know how hard it is to bounce art supplies in your handlebars? <laughs> <laughs> I but, don't um, know, but. <laughs> and then, <clears throat> yeah, I moved to New York City with everything I owned in a backpack on a motorcycle. And I had a friend who lived in Queens and I rented a room. And uh, I, sometimes you, you just got to take a chance to make it. Yeah, I mean, if you. <sighs> you overcome a lot of shit and you, you push through. And I mean, that's why, that's why you make it because you, you've, you, you do things that normal people wouldn't do, you know? So good well, for like you. I said, I'm not unique, but a lot of the people who did make it <clears throat> followed kind of the same path, yeah. you know, like, like Brad Pitt or like sure. J.K. Rowling, who's like the richest lady in the UK. Yep. She was homeless living on her friend's couch. I mean, you hear stories about comedians like like they are successful and funny because they went through like they had shitty parents or they moved around a lot or whatever X Y Z like they had to like be put through the ringer so to speak 
and overcome that and make it through. And as long as you harness that, that, that negativity for a positive and, and, and push through and recognize that, I mean, you could do a lot of great things. Right. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's, it, like you said, nobody cares if you die except for you. Yeah. So, you you know, it really helps to have a vision and push for it. And whether you accomplish that through one avenue or another avenue, you just got to keep, like, it, back in the day, like, back in the 40s, people would have, like, four or five jobs before they finally made it. So, like, yeah. even if you talk to people who end up being, like, you know, Carnegie or Rockefeller or whatever, they, they did all these other jobs that they failed miserably at, and they just kept going. Yeah. And I don't want to bring this up again, but uh, it was something you said that caught me off guard. Like your wife uh, died in a hit and run. Yeah, um, I was married and uh, I was married for six years and she was taking music classes at Pratt, which is in Brooklyn. And we lived in Brooklyn. So she'd leave early in the morning on Saturday. And the area you go through is right next to downtown Manhattan, which has all the after hour bars. So, you know, if I had uh, to guess, I would say that probably somebody was drunk from the night before, sure. you know, and they, they came over and she was on a motorcycle and they just plowed into her. Like they hit her so hard, they took out their headlight, took out most of their front grill, and they just kept going. And like they hit her and she flew off the bike, landed on her head and snapped her neck. Wow. And, and they just kept going. And, you know, there's a... Uh, there are industrial warehouses in the area, so they got the surveillance tapes, but the, the cameras mostly focused on the very entrance to the warehouse. So what they would get would be fairly blurry, so they couldn't even make out the license plate. And uh, we were trying really hard to, like, you know, pursue it, to do something about it. First, the cops were blowing it off. You know, totally, like, it turns out that if a motorcycle... A motorcyclist gets an accident and it was their fault. There's less paperwork. At least that's what I've heard. And they're they're just blown off. So we we hired an attorney. He said, you know what? Picture as a model, because she did some alternative modeling. You know, so I pictured a model. All of a sudden it's everywhere. It's like a tragedy. You know, I got interviewed for like uh News One, News Five, and um she was Colombian, so my brother in law speaks Spanish, so he was like on Telemundo and Univision, and he was like talking about it. All of a sudden there's an investigative squad, you know, people are, are calling me from all over, yeah, a car just rolled in my body shop and it looked like this, and you know, I mean unfortunately no one was ever found, but you know. Yeah. That that's like a little piece of heaven. There was a, it was a whole long dramatic thing. Yeah, Jesus. And you got stabbed by a crackhead. <laughs> well, that was before <laughs> that. Yeah, that was okay. Uh, <laughs> well, timeline's a little off, but yeah, talk about that. Like, what the fuck? Well, I lived in D.C. and I worked at um, a punk rock restaurant, it's like owned by a punk rocker uh, Dante Ferrando. Um, if you ever heard that uh, Agnostic Front song, Crucified, um, it's from. It's a cover, actually. It's from the band Iron Cross, and he was a drummer in that band Iron Cross. So he owned this restaurant and first started as the dishwasher there, then I was a cook, then the busboy, then eventually the waiter there. And um, But none of it paid very well. You know, so I was living in downtown D.C., and even if you live in, like, you know, mediocre, decent areas in D.C., it's still super dangerous. 
you know, and like, so I would like, this is a rule in DC. You're not allowed to own a firearm, but you're allowed to have a knife. You just like their requirements is like, you know, it has to be visible, but it, you can't be displaying it. So it has to be in a sheath, like on your belt where people can see it. And so on. that actually, I, I wore I, a big like K bar knife. And, you know, that probably saved me from, you know, being robbed and mugged so many times. But I was at my house and it, it was in a bad area, but we, it was like, we had a gate, like most houses in that area had to gate around them just because it's so dangerous, you know? And um, I lived with my girlfriend at the time and her sister from the suburbs came to live with us and her sister, I mean, she was oblivious. She walked her white fuzzy little dog around the block at midnight you know two crackheads came up to her you know and they were trying to get money from her and she's like you know she didn't have anything on her she just like went out to walk her dog she's like you know and one acted like he had a gun in his hand or in his pocket and one had a knife he was displaying and um she's like i don't have any money and they're like oh well you have money in there so they made her key into the place and go in and I guess the guy with the knife got sketched out, but the guy with the gun, he didn't really have a gun, but he was acting like he had one. He got inside, and once he got inside the house, I had like an open toolbox. He ran over, grabbed a hammer, grabbed her neck, and was holding a hammer to her head like he was going to bash her brains in. And she starts calling up to us, and my girlfriend's name was Barbara, you know, and she's like calling, but she's like, and we're like, yeah, we'll get it on in a minute. But then she keeps calling, and it gets more hysterical. We're like, what the fuck? So, like, I go wandering down the steps, and I see this crackhead, like, holding her with a hammer like this, and his eyes, like, they have jaundice, they're, like, all yellow, and he's, like, not even looking straight. I'm like, hey, man, what, what do you want? And he's like, he doesn't even talk right. He's like, I wanted money. I'm like, well, she doesn't have any. He's like, but you do. So he, like, edges over with her. He's like, give it to me, give it to me. So I'm, like, emptying out my pocket. I'm like, I just got changed, man. I got changed. You know, so he apparently he doesn't trust me. So he's trying to pat me down and he feels a knife and he goes for the knife. I'm like, I'm not letting a crackhead get a knife. So like with one hand, I'm like grabbing the knife and with the one hand, and he tried to swing the hammer, hit me in the head with the hammer. So I'm holding the hammer and I'm banging his hand against the wall, you know, and he's trying to stab me. And like, I was wearing a, I was wearing a, a flight jacket and there are like all these little puncture wounds in it. We're just trying to stab me in the stomach. You know, and I like all these little cuts on my stomach, but it didn't go all the way through, obviously. And we had the heavy end of a pull cue. And my girl came down. She smashes him as hard as she can in the head. And he's so high on whatever he's on. He's like, <laughs> and after like the seventh time of hitting him, he looks at her like, like, bitch, I'll kill you. <clears throat> so she goes running upstairs and she calls the cops. And she's like, help, help. My boyfriend is getting attacked by a crackhead, blah, blah, blah. You know, and they're like, if you don't calm down, we're going to hang up on you. So she's like, no, no, please just come help us. There was a police station less than a block away. It took them 45 minutes to get there. So Jesus. I'm fighting with the crackhead. Finally, <clears throat> he's like trying to stab me with the knife and my hands wrapped around it and sawing all the way through the bone, all the way through the tendon. But I finally get the knife and I go to, to hit him. But one of these giant Harley boots are like steel toed and you know, steel heel. You know, and I'm trying to chase him, and, you know, he's obviously wearing sneakers and a crackhead, so he's, like, super fast running away. <laughs> so I didn't catch him. Oh, and the entire time, I was, like, kicking him as hard as I could in the shins with steel-toed boots. So I'm sure the next day he could barely even walk. Yeah. But he's so high right there, you know, yeah, that, that like it's not energy. affecting him. Yeah. 
But so the cop comes in, you know, you could tell they could care less. So first they call from across the street. They're like, is he still there? <laughs> We're like, no, he's not there. You know, so then they come in and he has his like, you know, folder flipped out. He's like, so uh, what do you look like? I was like, I don't know. He's a fucking crackhead, puffy orange jacket, you know? Like, well, do you have darker skin than I do? You know, like you could tell they could care less. They're like, well, don't confront him if you see him. And I'm thinking, I'm going to kill him if I, if I see him, you know? But, um, and then he's like, oh, that, that cut looks pretty bad. I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. He's like, oh, yeah, move your finger. And I tried it. I could not move my finger because, like, the tendon was severed. Right. You know? and, and he's laughing. He's like, ah, I thought so. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And so then he's like, you want me to call you a cab or you call you an ambulance? And I'm like, no. So I called a cab, and I wrapped a towel around it. And I went to George Mason, which is the closest, closest hospital. It's like a university hospital, but it's been like rich people go to George Mason. So first, they demanded money up front. Apparently, hospitals can't do that anymore. But I had $97, which I was a dishwasher, so that was a lot of money to me. But I emptied my pockets, gave him 97 It disappeared, by the way. It's not paperwork, anything. But so then they took me in, and they just sort of close. I'm like, well, don't I need surgery to reattach the tendon? And, like, they start laughing at me. You know, and, oh, and they put... They they put like students to sew it up, so they didn't sew it up correctly, you know, because they, they figured I didn't have insurance, so they didn't they put care. like a yeah. specialist on it, you know. <clears throat> so I'm like, is there a public hospital anywhere around here? And, you know, and they're like, oh well, there's one in Southeast, which is like the worst part of DC, you know. And I'm like, all right, fine, I'll go there. So I remember I would take the train there, and I take the bus there, and. <clears throat> It was a bus, actually. The train would just go to Virginia. But I take the bus there, and <clears throat> I remember I, you know, first of all, I'm, like, the only white person around. Although the thing is, like, even, like, really get to black people, they love that you look so punk rock. You know, they'd be like, oh, man, I love your haircut, you know, so. So, but I go to the hospital, and it's right next to D.C. jail. So there'd be people with leg irons walking past me, you know, and, uh, I remember that the week before, this is when DC, by the way, was really bad. It's like the Marion Barry years, like the guy cut on tape with like smoking crack with a hooker. Yeah. You know, but I, I remember when they did the surgery, like the week before, they had a girl, they had a lady, they had amputated her, her foot. They amputated the wrong foot. So I, I was trying to get them to like, let me stay a week while they did the surgery so I could make sure they're operating on the right hand. They wouldn't let me. So I remember right before I passed out, like this rusty looking light is coming down and then I'm out. So when they, this is turning into a long story, but so like the, the, there, there was a cut all the way through here. So they had to cut this open to reattach the tendon. Right. And I know because there was a therapist doing an internship there from New York. And he's like, what did they do? Because they're supposed to put 19 stitches. They put four. Like it was still like, you know, part of her hanging open. They're also they're supposed to glue fishing line to your nail and attach to your cast so you can't move while the tendon heals. They forgot glue. So in the hospital, they punch a hole through my finger and they tied fishing line and they attached to the cast. And the lady mm -hmm. making the cast, she had like these long nails on. So it took her forever to make the cast, but she makes it way too short. 
the doctor comes in. He's like, yeah, the cast is way too short. So she starts arguing with him. <clears throat> so after like 40 minutes of arguing, then she makes it cast on purpose. It's way too long. You know, and then he comes in. He's like, now he made the cast way too long. And she starts arguing with him. And he's like, fine, I'll do. <clears throat> so that's what I ended up with. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I mean, I feel like your your life has just been uh, a constant uh, battle with adversity. <laughs> well, I I just feel like the roadblocks are like what you got to go through. You know, it, like now everyone has to go through. But if you're struck with those, what are you gonna do? You know, either you give up or you keep fighting. And maybe I'm just too stubborn, but I just keep fighting. Yeah, I mean, like what? Like after you get kicked in the dick. Time after time, like what, like what keeps you going? Like what keeps you like ah, it's just another you know, you know shit sandwich I got to eat. Like it'll 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 all be worth it one day. Like what do you? What's going through your head through all these moments? Like I, I feel like if if all these things happen to somebody else, right? And then so I'm gonna I'm gonna say this, not even a comparison, but I'll say it to to kind of tie it together. I do. And I don't know if you're a religious person. It sounds like you're probably not because of the way things kind of happen. But I, I was, I was, I was raised. They're um, not in the church, but I was I'm Lutheran. Um, you know, I, I took all the religious courses and what is it called? Uh, I was at confirmation classes and things like that. And it got to a point where my my best friend's dad passed away early. He was like fifty or me 51 or 52 then two months after that my grandmother passed away and two months after that my other grandmother passed away and then six months after that my own father passed away so i went i dealt with a lot of losses in a, like an eight month period and i'm like you know what? I, I i think you know i need to kind of step step back from religion because like you know this god they speak of wouldn't do this to me, like, what, what do you, what, how, how could this possibly happen, right? We're good people, blah, blah, blah. We do the right things, like, whatever. And then I was like, you know, maybe, maybe he did that to me because he knew that I could handle it. You know what I'm saying? Like, he felt that, like, you know, I can't do this to somebody else because they would go down the wrong path. They would go down the wrong road. They'd end up like, killing somebody or killing themselves or, or, you know, drugs or whatever it might be. I'm going to do this to you because I know that you have family around you, you have friends around you, and you're, you're a strong person. You can handle this scenario. Again, I'm not going to compare to religion, but like people that go through what you've gone through would be like, they, I, I don't like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's crazy. <laughs> what kept you going? That's what, I'm at. Well, that's what I'm kind of getting at. Well, like, I remember when I was homeless and <clears throat> I kind of felt like I was like at, like at the bottom of the, the ladder, like, you know, falling away from society. Like, I remember, um, like, I'd be starving and um, somebody gave me $2 and I bought like a big bag of rice. So, in a friend's microwave in his trailer in college, like they, they had 
you know, more people than room. So he, he like lived in a trailer like this is uh, George Washington University and uh, George Mason University, rather. And um, so in his microwave, I cook rice from the two dollar bag of rice. And then I seal like a uh, salt and pepper from McDonald's. And I like put that in there and I survived off that for a couple of weeks, you know, and uh, but the whole time. And, and like and I was taking showers at McDonald's restrooms, you know, <laughs> but like like you know, washing everything in McDonald's restrooms. But like the whole time, I'm like this is not the end of me. You know, I have stuff I want to do. Like, how do I get out of this? Never, I never once go, oh poor me. You know, it was like because nobody cares. You know, right. so you know, going oh poor me is definitely not going to get me anywhere. You know, so I go, what do I need to do to get out of this? So that's how I kept, like, I kept applying to jobs. Like, most of them were just turned down right away, you know. But finally, Chuck E. Cheese hired me. And, like, um, like Chuck E. Cheese would hire almost anybody at the time. Like, they had a lot of people. Like, like I won't go into all of it and bore you, but they have a lot of tricks they play about how much money you're going to make. But, like, they don't give you a shift meal. You know, they tell you you can get tips because you're a waiter, but they have signs to where they say waiters are paid, don't tip them. You know, all, all, all sorts of things. But, you know, it was like that got me away from being homeless. And then I'm like, okay, well, now that I have a job, I just need to find a better one. You know, so, so just try – Keep trying until something works. Maybe it goes back to what we said before. It just takes one. But maybe that's, you know, as, as shitty as that Chuck E. Cheese job was, that was the one thing that started you on the right path. Right. Well, if there was no Chuck E. Cheese, then I would have been fucked. I feel like I would have found something eventually. But sure, you of know, course. I need something like that. Yeah. Fucking Chuck E. Cheese, man. <laughs> <laughs> Man, what a story. Damn. So what's next for Dan Hank? Well, I just put out this horror anthology, um, The Never Dead, which I'm really proud of. Like I put it out like an Audible, I put it on Kindle, I put it out in paperback, I put it out in hardcover, and I'm doing a bunch of horror conventions. Um, we have a, a guy who's on one of those FX shows. Um I forget what it is, but uh, he went to Tom's Beanie School, so he does awesome special effects. And uh, we were asking him to, we were going to make a book trailer. And, like, they're all, like, horror short stories. So, like, the ones with more, like, uh, you know, difficult elements. We were getting him. He's like, why don't I do the whole thing? We're like, okay, awesome, man. <laughs> you know, And, and um, I'm like, I will talk to you for free if you do the whole thing, you know. But uh, he's really good, so he's going to shoot this horse trail. So r- right now, you know, that's what I'm really into. That's what I, I'm dedicating a lot of time to. And, you know, I feel like I'll give it my all. If, if it doesn't work out, then I'll, I'll try something else. But right now, I'm going to give it 100%. And, you know, you've got to assume that everything is going to be the best. You can't go, oh, well, you know, th- this probably isn't going to go anywhere. You know, cause it, If you think that, it's not going to go anywhere. Right. Right. And uh, you have a shop called Abyss Art Studio in Long Beach, New York? Yeah. it's uh, The technical name is the Abyss Fine Art and Tattoo Studio. It's a lot of words. Yeah. 
I mumble, so I'm gonna go with. Abyss. I gotta be complex. Actually. You just call it the abyss, to be honest. The abyss. Let's go with that. Yeah, I, I tend to mumble, so we're gonna go with the abyss. Uh, where can people find you on socials? I'm on everything. Um, I my website is janhinks.com. Um, I'm Dead Guy LLC, which is my company. I, I incorporated um, on the advice of Keith Underwood. He had a presenter, Mike Malone, which is a pretty famous tattoo artist. But he said, you know, this country is set up for corporations. So yeah. so I incorporated, you know, so like my artwork and, and now I'm publishing under the name. So Dead Guy LLC on Facebook, Dead Guy LLC on Instagram, uh, Dan Hank on TikTok, uh, Dan Hank, you know, on the website, Dan Hank on Twitter. I'm not, I'm on too many social platforms. What's what's your Instagram? Because that's going to be your your handle for uh, Threads. Dead guy LC. <laughs> you'll be on Threads by the time this this comes out. You'll be on Threads. I was funny stories real quick. I was Dan Hank on Instagram. Somebody hacked my account. So all of a sudden, like, and I know from like the return address they changed it to, it was somebody in Russia. So there was some young girl just like posting selfies <laughs> on my site, and the people were like writing and they're going, "We know this is a Dan Hank." And I wrote TikTok, and they're like, they had you like they change you a code and a whole up like a, a thing with the code. They never gave it back. Yeah. I went through all those channels, nothing happened. But they finally just closed that account down, and I started a new one. So, which is kind of unfortunate because I had like seventeen thousand followers, and now I have like three thousand. That's what sucks about that shit. It's like you could like build it up to this level, and you get hacked once, and it's gone. Yeah, gone forever. It's like, damn. unfortunately, it wasn't like softcore porn or something, which probably would have like affected me more. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you'd be you'd bigger, but. Well, Dan, um, your your timeline, your stories, like your you know, what you've been able to overcome um, to to be who you are today is, like I said before, admirable. Like, I mean, a lot of people would have gave up, and you didn't, and you know, good for you. I mean, I couldn't imagine, uh, but there's people out there like you, and you know, they have a great story to tell, and they they uh, are uh, an impactful person in people's lives, and I think that you definitely are that whether it's you know sharing your story or you know tattooing that piece that uh somebody wants on their body or you know drawing the picture or writing those novels like it's it's super cool what you do and um i just appreciate your time yeah thanks man thanks for having me um well to hook up next time you come back uh if you ever come back to town with uh five seven i know it's more of a uh a private studio, but if you ever come back, let me know. Well, I'm and, sure. Uh, well, Ron's invited me, and I, I've done like ten guest spots in shop. I'm sure at some point it will. Well, to come, ha- well, I'll come hang out. We'll 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 meet face to face in in real life. Okay, awesome, man. Well, thank you again. I appreciate it, and uh, keep on keeping on, man. It's like uh, it's your story is awesome, and, and uh, you should be super proud. All right, thanks, man. All right, later. Later.